this time on Millennial. They might wake up in the night to Wayne LaPierre rapping on their bedroom window being like, how could you? How could you (laughs) betray me? It's like Darth Vader. Yeah. (laughs) He is their Darth Vader, man. I'm sorry, my lord. Yeah, you hit send, you quickly realize your mistake, and you unsend it. Yeah, for me, this will really help because anytime I try to type fuck on my phone, it autocorrects to duck to this day. I think everybody (laughs) has that experience. That's the example Apple should have put up on screen. Yeah. That because everybody, yeah, has experienced that before. One of my exes got on my family plan and took uh, my local area code. And I just love that now he's stuck with my area code for the rest of his life. (laughs) He hasn't ever changed it? No, he has to think of me every time he gives that number. (laughs) That's my evil plan with everybody. I put them on family plans with me. (laughs) Welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting, but real unhinged talk this week. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. And the reason I say this is because we're going to do things a little differently this week. There's just a hodgepodge of stories that we wanted to get to. And in recent months, we've been focusing on three to four stories and spending more time on them. But with how the past few weeks have been going, with this ruling coming down from the Supreme Court in the next couple of weeks, potentially repealing Roe v. Wade, with so much crazy stuff happening in America, we were just like, let's just throw a ton of shit at the wall this week and see what sticks. And we'll start with this first pillar here. Laura, you coined the name of this, I believe, when we were planning the episode on Friday. So would you like to introduce our first segment? Sure. Our first segment of the day is called Clusterfuck 2022. And I think it's appropriate, Andrew, that you said we're throwing a bunch of shit at the wall to see what sticks, because that's exactly (laughs) what the insurrectionists did at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. And that's what we're talking about. Um, Over the last week or so, the January 6th hearings have kicked off. And the first session was held in prime time at like 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, The second one happened uh, just yesterday at 10 a.m. And I thought we could just take a few moments to talk about what you know, stuck out to us the most, what grabbed us, what seemed the most interesting from the hearing so far. They're um, chaired by uh, Benny Thomas and co-chaired by Liz Cheney. So there is bipartisan representation on this committee. And it has been interesting to hear from people who have different ideological perspectives about the criminal activity that took place that day, not just by insurrectionists, but by, you know, the head honcho himself, Mr. You know, Donald Trump. The head Trump. orange himself. Yes. <laughs> the head orange. Orange Julius. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, Laura, you tuned in live. You texted me and Pam. You were yep. like, I'm ready. You had your bowl of popcorn out. Mm-hmm. You had a Diet Coke with you. Yep. Um, and I was watching too. I was actually going to send you a picture at the same exact time. It was pretty funny. I thought things got off to a good start. Unfortunately, only that first hearing is in prime time. I wish the others were going to be in prime time too, but Me too. these others are going to be airing in the middle of the day. And I thought the whole point of the prime time one was to get more attention on all this. And it just seems like, you know, okay, there was a lot of attention on this first one. About 20 million people tuned in live. The way they have been presenting evidence so far and the story they are telling is very compelling. It's backed up 
with a lot of evidence, a lot of video interviews with Trump's team who testified. One of the biggest revelations was when Liz Cheney said that Trump was aware of the hang Mike Pence chance, and he had said, quote, maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence deserves it. And it was shocking to hear that. Um, Bill Barr, Donald Trump's former attorney general, said Trump had become, quote, detached from reality and never showed an interest in what the facts were that Barr had tried to present to him in terms of the validity of the election. So those were the two things that stood out to me. And there's more to come. Yes. Well, related to that, I thought it was interesting, too, that, um, you know, I think it was on day two that they brought up this Trump's team, people that were, you know, literally on this on his staff brought up the idea that that the staff was divided between like normal people (laughs) and people that were drinking the Kool-Aid, which is kind of terrifying in a way. But at the same time, it's like, what do you expect? Because all of you were yes men until you realized how serious and dangerous all of this rhetoric was getting. Yeah. Like there shouldn't have been any surprises, but it's incredible to see just how many people are trying to now distance themselves from him ever since all of this transpired. Yeah. He's no longer the useful idiot. That's what it comes down to. And I think you mentioned, Laura, that uh, Republicans are notorious for for turning on anybody that could potentially put them in an unfavorable light. And we're starting to clearly see that now. Yeah, I hope that's what's happening. I'm honestly afraid. Um, I, I just have to give props to Liz Cheney. Um, never thought that I would say that about anyone with the last name Cheney, but here we are. <laughs> um, she has been an amazing co-chair on this committee, and she's really sticking her neck out because what she's doing is not super popular with rank and file Republicans right now. She could very well lose her seat over this. Um, yeah. And it, it just goes to show that she is doing what is right, and she is thinking first about her constitutional obligation to tell the truth and respect our democracy. So I think it would actually be incredibly smart if Republicans would wake the fuck up and be like, hey, you know what? We should nominate Liz Cheney for president. She's going to be our nominee. (laughs) I I would never vote for her. I'm just going to go on the record to say that. But I could at least respect her candidacy. (laughs) Based on what I'm seeing here, I disagree with her on everything else, but we can agree on this thing. Definitely. I just wanted to say the body cam footage. Did you guys see this um, from the Capitol Police? So hard to watch. And we had seen some of this, you know, happening live, but but it's so different to see it from the point of view of police officers there. So, yeah, getting the shit beat out of them Mm -hmm. by people who claim to back the blue. That's my favorite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't see that footage. I unfortunately only watched the first 30, 45 minutes of the primetime hearing before going to watch another shit show, which is the new Jurassic World movie. And I'm regretting that decision. I wish I stayed and watched this insurrection hearing. Would you say that it's a pretty equal scandal or? Yes. (laughs) I I feel like it was a bad moment for America, for sure. Did you ask for a (laughs) refund? (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I remembered what we said last week. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say just for the perspective, I think it is important just to be aware of 
what, you know, Capitol Police and, and other bystanders were experiencing that day. You know, when you see news coverage, when you see drone footage, it it does not even begin to communicate how dangerous that situation was for individuals who were on the ground there. And I went into this not thinking that I was going to see anything that elicited new feelings from me, but I legitimately got goosebumps and felt sick when I saw this new footage. It's horrific what they were doing to these officers who were just trying to do their job and maintain the calm. Um, So that was probably the hardest thing to see so far. Um, Kind of pivoting a little bit, though, on day two, we learned that Rudy Giuliani was apparently completely smashed on election night when he was telling Trump to go ahead and declare victory. Now, he he was celebrating a little early. Yeah, yes, but- <laughs> of course, I don't believe him. I, I I believe he was inebriated that night. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there are multiple corroborations of this. Yeah. <laughs> and I could just hear him being like, ah, you won. <laughs> <laughs> he actually he tweeted about this this morning. He said, I am disgusted and outraged at the outright lie. I was upset that they were not prepared for the massive cheating as well as other lawyers around the president. I guess he was trying to explain his behavior and why he appeared to be drunk. It was because he was sad. He said, I refused all alcohol that evening. My favorite drink, dot, 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 Diet Pepsi. So okay, then he's Rudy. just insane on his own, which is <laughs> yeah. probably even more terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah, these were two high level people who reported that he was inebriated. Uh, Jason Miller and Bill Bill Steppen. So yeah. um, I believe them. So do we think anything is going to change as a result of this, you know, very public series of hearings? I don't know. So it's going to come down to Merrick Garland, right? The current yeah. attorney general to to prosecute somebody, potentially Donald Trump. I've I've just come to unfortunately accept that this might not go anywhere, but it really does help with the public perception, I think, of of Donald I, Trump and maybe people down the middle. That's my optimistic hope. But and I know we've talked about this before. It just is really going to depend on what kind of people are tuning in to watch this hearing, this series of hearings, because who you really want to convince are the people that aren't quite thinking straight because all they're doing is listening to what Trump is saying. I'm not really sure how many of those people are actually watching the hearings to begin with. I will say the committee panel is apparently split on whether they're going to make a criminal referral to the Justice Department. I don't know that they would need to make one in order for the DOJ to act. So we'll just have to wait and see on that front. Yeah. The upcoming hearings are this Thursday, June 16th at 1 p.m., The next one is Tuesday, June 21st at 1 p.m. And then the final one, I suppose, is Thursday, June 23rd at 1 p.m. Those are the three announced thus far anyway. And it seems like they're still promising more fireworks, more revelations, more clips. Yeah, you can also watch them after the fact. The second one I wasn't able to watch live, but I was able to find it on YouTube that evening so I could watch the whole thing. Well, I know you had mentioned the Supreme Court earlier, 
So now seems as good a time as any to mention that um, a new ruling came down from the Supreme Court um, saying that border agents can now make warrantless arrests at residences within 100 miles of the U.S. border. Um, That also includes warrantless searches of vehicles within 100 miles of a border. Did y'all see this? (laughs) No, I didn't until you two told me about it. The first I saw of it was, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners might have seen this too, there was a a graphic going around of, you know, what cities are 100 miles away from the border. And I mentioned to both of you, and I'll say this to anybody listening, that it was very eye-opening for me to see it in graphic form because in my head, the border is like up work. Canada is <laughs> so right. like two states away or down by San Diego, which is all the way, you know, on the other side of California for me. But like realistically, anytime you go to a beach, you're at the border you're of the United border. States, mm-hmm. yeah. which is crazy, especially when you think of just like in terms of my state. And I know every state is different, but like there's so many sanctuary cities that fall within that 100 border radius, including San Francisco and Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah, if you look at this graphic that Pam just referenced, most major cities are, I mean, along the coast at least, are in uh, that 100-mile range of the border. This is at like, you know, LA, Philly, New York, Washington, D.C., Richmond, Virginia. You go all the way down the coast, Orlando, Tampa, Houston, Texas, Tucson, Arizona. Vegas is safe. Oh, thank God. Uh, Portland. Milwaukee, Chicago, Detroit. It's like all in there. It it's basically the vast majority of the US population. I mean, these yeah. are all of our major population centers. Most people either live near a, a physical land border or on a coast. I mean, the entire fucking state of Florida <laughs> that falls was under wild this. to me. And all of New Jersey, my home state. It's terrifying for for so many reasons, but we can start with the fact that this seems to be a violation of Fourth Amendment rights that was just passed down from the highest court in our land. Fourth Amendment, of course, protects people from unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. Not anymore, (laughs) I guess. Well, you know, it's not as important as the Second Amendment, which protects your right to own a gun, apparently. So, yeah, well, that's why they put it second, right? Right. The the amendments are written in order of importance. (laughs) Priority. Yes. (laughs) Well, what was the trial that led to this? So it it was a result. And I think Pam might have actually pulled this for us to give credit where credit is due. It was a Supreme Court case in which a bed and breakfast owner argued that a Border Patrol agent violated his Fourth Amendment right when they came to investigate if there were, quote, illegal immigrants at the B&B. Just want to state here on the show that we we would use the term undocumented immigrants. The other term is pretty loaded and also very offensive. Supreme Court, of course, ruled Along ideological line six to three against the B&B owner. And that now has an impact on everyone who lives within 100 miles of yeah. a border. Right. And that's why we wanted to bring this up today. Yeah. I mean, this is a huge story that should be covered more. No one Absolutely. is safe within 100 miles of the border. Some people might tend to think, well, it would never happen to me. 
um, because they think, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not harboring anyone. I'm not supposed to be, etc. But this all remember, this includes vehicles. Like you can just be mm-hmm. driving and minding your own business and Customs and Border Patrol can pull you over and search your car without a warrant. I mean, yeah. technically, police can do that, too, because so many people don't know their rights. Like so many people mm-hmm. don't know that if the police stops you and asks you to search your car, you can say no unless they have a warrant. And, you know, for normal people, they probably wouldn't have a warrant. And then you also might get confused. Well, is this a police or officer or, or right, is this exactly. CBP? Or right. you might forget what the mm-hmm. new law and ruling from the Supreme Court actually is. And it's just this this feels like the US flirting. I mean, we've been flirting with fascism for a while now, but it this is like a fuck around and find out moment. And if people just continue to go about their normal lives and not react to this not become politically engaged as a result of this and and every like the litany of other bullshit that is happening we're doomed i I don't mean to be a debbie downer but we're doomed (laughs) yeah and this is all from a court that isn't voted in by the people Mm -hmm. it's appointed by presidents and then we have to live with their decisions for likely the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Trump can leave, but his his uh, decisions are still here for a really long time. Yep. And the results of that 2016 election. So now, oh, in case things weren't any more awesome, now we actually, this next bit of news is somewhat positive. So there was uh, some good news, relatively good news about gun restrictions. Uh, And it started off last week when the House passed a gun reform package titled Protecting Our Kids. Uh, The package passed uh, 223 to 204, but the jury's still out on whether the Senate will pass it. And we'll get to that in a little bit because there have also been some new developments since then with regards to the Senate. So um, just in the House, five Republicans voted for this bill and two Democrats voted against it. And as part of the package, the measure would raise the legal age to buy certain semi-automatic rifles to 21. It's currently 18. It would also introduce new federal offenses for gun trafficking and for selling large capacity magazines. Uh, it would allow local governments to compensate those who surrender magazines through a buyback program. And it would also strengthen existing regulations on bump stocks and ghost guns. And for anybody that needs a refresher on what a bump stock is, it basically can turn any rifle into an automatic weapon weapon because it just, you know, allows you to to shoot for longer and stuff like that. And I believe that those are currently illegal. So they would be tightening, I guess, like the fines and stuff like that on that as well. So mm. what did you guys think of these pr- perspective measures that they're they're trying well, to move over towards the Senate for a vote over there? I think they're great steps, but unfortunately I think a lot of this is doomed in the Senate. In fact, I think I got like a push notification from the New York Times and they were literally like, Yeah, this passed, but um it's doomed in the Senate. They <laughs> said doomed. Yeah. Just like, oh, okay. It feels like everything meaningful the House does. Right now, we just accept like, oh, that's great, you know, from sort of a a symbolic perspective, but it's hard to feel any kind of positive momentum when you know it's going to go to the Senate and die. Yeah. 
Yeah, really. I mean, to me, yeah, this is, gosh, a grim episode. It is going to get lighter, I promise. Yeah. But yeah, it's like I can't feel or get excited for anything that passes in the House when you know that it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. Unfortunately, there's a lot of pushback around the idea of raising the legal age to buy certain semi-automatic rifles to 21. Right now, the age is 18. It needs to be 21. It's a three-year difference. It's not perfect. It should probably go up even higher. But that would be a good first step because too many young kids, unfortunately, do purchase assault rifles. Yeah. I mean, we regulate alcohol and and drugs more than we regulate gun sales in this country. I know it's not the same for every state, but in a lot of states, you know, you can't even buy alcohol until you turn 21. So why would you be able to buy a gun at 18? You can't even drink in those states. So there was some good news. The Senate has reached a bipartisan deal on gun safety. There are a few good steps. Um, This deal was put forth by 10 Democrats and 10 Republicans. It includes enhanced background checks to give authorities time to check the juvenile and mental health records of any prospective buyer under 21. It also has a prohibition on domestic abusers having guns. It provides funding for states to enact red flag laws, and it includes money for mental health resources and school safety. So these are good steps. This bill has been celebrated because if it does pass, it'll be the first significant bill on gun control in about 30 years. So I guess we can be excited about that that but the details in here weren't getting me particularly excited how did you two feel about this a lot of this doesn't seem like (laughs) very helpful you know i don't know if you got that vibe laura yeah it's like money for mental health yeah money for mental health resources and school safety that's great i i don't think that we shouldn't be spending money on stuff like that but i just don't know how that is a good use of our resources at this point yeah how are they going to spend that money on school safety There's been all this talk about securing the doors and the windows and all that. So what? They're going to throw extra deadbolts on the doors? Like, are they going to hire more cops? into a prison. Yeah. And we know this all doesn't work, as Uvalde showed us. I fear what's going to happen is that this bill passes. Okay, fine. And then Republicans can just be like, well, we tried. And then the next shooting at a school will unfortunately inevitably happen. And they'll be like, look, we, we tried to make changes. And we couldn't stop them this way. So we have to keep focusing on just mental health. I I just feel like this bill is a way for Republicans to say it's something for them to point at when the next shooting happens. And then they can say, well, we did try to do something and it didn't help. So clearly guns aren't the problem or some bullshit. Yeah, I, I think the real trouble here is, again, this is very moderate. I will say the one thing that stands out to me as being... Like, yes, fuck yeah, we absolutely need this is the prohibition on domestic abusers having guns. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when we discussed Uvalde, domestic abusers um, tend to there, there's a high correlation between domestic abusers and people who perpetrate mass shootings. So keeping guns out of the hands of people who have a known history of domestic violence, great step. The rest of this, 
I'm not saying that it would have no impact whatsoever, but it is not as sweeping as um, the Protect Our Kids Act coming out of the House, right? Right. That said, I am in favor of getting whatever progress we can get, even if it's not as much as we want. Uh, President Biden has spoken in support of this bipartisan deal in the Senate. He's asking them to you know, pen the legislation, get it passed so that he can sign it so that we can at least do something about this. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I would much rather have this passed than not. I think the issue is because the legislation hasn't been written yet, it runs the risk of not passing the filibuster threshold on all of these items, right? So, for instance, I could see strong Republican, you know, uh, dissent against the idea of preventing domestic abusers from having guns. So if we couldn't break the 60 vote threshold because of one part of this deal, the whole thing falls apart. They have to go back to the drawing board and rewrite the legislation and try again. So I think that's something that we just have to be prepared for. It's not a certain thing that this will pass. Now, here's something that does give me hope. Justin just shared this in our Discord. He's listening live on Patreon. Justin said, Chris Murphy has talked about how it'll show Republicans that they won't be punished for voting for gun regulation and can do more in the future. So that's not a guarantee, but that's certainly an optimistic way to look at it. Let's say this passes. (laughs) Life goes on for these Republican senators. They can can do stuff and, and not get thrown out of office. They can make some changes when it comes to gun reform and not get thrown out of office. So, okay, that well, leaves me. I don't know. Good. They might they might wake up in the night to Wayne LaPierre <laughs> rapping on their bedroom window being like, how could you? <laughs> how could you betray me? It's like Darth Vader. Yeah. He <laughs> is sorry, their Darth Vader, man. My lord. <laughs> okay. So the rest of this episode will be later and it will be fun. We have some WTF news to get to. And we also are going to discuss this viral Twitter post that I saw the other day, uh, bringing us back to the old days. But first, I just wanted to mention that uh, we really appreciate all of our supporters at patreon.com slash millennial. We don't have any sponsors this week, and it looks like summer might be pretty light on on sponsors for this show. So that's when our Patreon really is immensely helpful to us. So if you enjoy the show and you want to see it continue to thrive, we would greatly appreciate if you pledged at any level at patreon.com slash millennial. You get lots of benefits, so many benefits. Uh, we're actually recording a new variety show next week. Laura's going to be giving us a presentation on T-Rex. Laura, because you're like a T-Rex super fan. Yeah, so I'm I'm a Jurassic Park super fan, the original, not the abomination sequel films <laughs> they've made. Um, but I I strongly feel that the T-Rex in the original Jurassic Park is the misunderstood hero of the movie. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, I have a slide deck prepared. There are pictures and GIFs 
um, along with some pretty solid evidence. I feel that I put my best academic foot forward on putting this together, and I can't wait to convince you all that uh, the T-Rex, Rexy is what I call her, um, is, is the unsung hero of that film. I'm excited for this, and it's going to kick off a series of unhinged, no offense, Laura, presentations (laughs) on some of our (laughs) unexpected beliefs. So that'll be at patreon.com slash millennial, along with so much other content. Years and years of bonus content is available there. So uh, thanks to everybody who supports us, and uh, be sure to check it out and see all the benefits. We don't share all of them every week, but you can see all the benefits just by going there. Okay, so now it's time for... A load of WTF news. So obviously, I think most people are fairly invested in Spider-Man and most forms that Spider-Man takes on the big screen. But what you might not be as invested in is some of these Spider-Man offshoots that Sony has been trying to make happen, including Morbius, uh, which stars Jared Leto. And if you didn't even realize this movie was out, I don't blame you because it was pushed back so many times. But uh, it did actually get a theatrical release back in April and it notoriously tanked at the box office. So for some added context as to what that means, the film only pulled in about $73 million domestically, which is very low for uh, a Marvel adjacent property that is not actually produced by Disney. And it also received a meager 17% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Although for what it's worth, the audience score was a bit higher at 71%. (laughs) A bit higher. That's, that's a, that's a leap. Well, the, the real reason I wanted to bring this up is because the real success of Morbius actually came in the form of the memification of this movie. And it really kind of gave Morbius a second life. The most popular iteration of memes with relation to this film is probably the It's Morbin Time meme, which some of you might have seen trending online. Uh, This is a fake quote attributed to the movie, and even Jared Leto got in on the action. Uh, He actually posted a video to his socials where he's holding a fake script for Morbius 2, which features the subtitle It's Morbin Time. (laughs) So that's pretty fun. But the meme was so popular that it actually somehow convinced Sony that trying to capitalize on the popularization of its Morbin time would directly lead to to ticket sales. So they decided to re-release Morbius in theaters earlier this month. It hit theaters the weekend of June 3rd. And despite the fact that they re-released it in over a thousand theaters as part of this re-release, it tanked yet again, because of course (laughs) it did, and actually only ended up raking in another $85,000 on that Friday, which is very low (laughs) when you break down, you know, break it down in terms of just how much money that is per theater that it re-released in, so... That's where we Am are I in doing the Morbius my math event. right. That's eighty five dollars a theater. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, <laughs> it was a little over a thousand theaters, but yes, <laughs> it made oh, eighty five dollars a theater. Movie tickets are like fifteen dollars per. So that means like five people saw it at each theater <laughs> that day. Oh, yeah, man. that's I know those were people who like after a happy hour. 
they needed to sober up before they went home and they were like, oh, let's just go see Morbius. <laughs> Fuck it. Probably, Fuck probably it. true. <laughs> and of course, you know, like the, the internet is, is the internet so there's also a petition to ask sony to re-release this movie a, a third time <laughs> oh my no. god it's basically just like no. sony, we, we need it this time we really want morbius to come back and we'll go see it i might Probably buy a ticket if it returns the third time i won't go and see it <laughs> but i will buy a ticket just because i want to be part of this very small box office return i want to be one of the four <laughs> people in a particular movie theater who purchased tickets that so you day. can get yourself a t-shirt that says i saw the morbius re-release in theaters <laughs> you the proud do you think that uh sony is gonna pull a george w and be like you fool me once Shame on, shame on, you fool me, you can't get fooled again. <laughs> I always think of that quote anytime some shit like this happens. That's so good. There was that other iconic George Bush quote recently when he uh, admitted they shouldn't have invaded Iraq. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I need to find that real quick. I, we need to I, play it. Yeah, I think that might have been somewhat of a Freudian slip. <laughs> yeah, big time. Hold on, wait, I have it. And he like leaned into it too. In contrast, Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. Right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. It was unjustified. Uh, what a time Iraq to be alive! Too. I like, never thought that that's the <laughs> clip we would get. Out of yeah, I fucked that up, man, Dick. We really fucked that up. Yeah. Oh boy. Well, he probably feels some safety in admitting that now, given the most recent Republican president. He's like, yeah, right. He looks like an angel and a wonderful president compared to Trump. Man, simpler times, y'all. Simpler, simpler times. times. Well, I also remember a simpler time when um, Joaquin Phoenix released the Joker movie, and a lot of people were like, oh, man, this is really violent. This is really horrible to watch. Entertainment Weekly was like, we will not review this film. We won't issue a letter grade because we are very disturbed by the content of this motion picture. Well, now a second Joker movie is in the works, and... It's going to co-star Lady Gaga, and it's going to be a musical. She is in talks right now to join this movie as Harley Quinn, and it's going to be a musical. (laughs) I I can't believe this isn't a joke. (laughs) This, yeah, this is something you would read on The Onion, but this is 100% true. (laughs) I know, I know. Remember when this Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie was meant to be a one-off? Yeah. Didn't Joaquin say this was like a really rough movie for him to film? Did he I say that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm it sure was it like, I don't be. know if you guys went to see it, but the movie itself yeah. was very rough. Oh, yes. Yeah. And now the second one is a music. We did a whole segment on this movie on this show. Do you remember that? We spent like 20 yeah, minutes talking very about vaguely. it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's like, it feels like that tone is just a complete 180 to what we got in the first one too. Like, how do you make the leap from the original Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix to a musical? 
starring Lady Gaga. <laughs> Lady Gaga putting on yeah. her acting face. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I will say Gaga is talented. So I tend to be interested in whatever it is she's working on because it's usually pretty compelling. So I'd go see this. I'm not sure if this was the direction I thought that this story was going to go. But I do wonder, I mean, because the Batman just came out earlier this year. And that is presumably going to have a sequel, right? So I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. like, how are these two stories? Do they fit together? That's a good question. And I would argue that tonally the first Joker movie, because now there's two, right? And the this this first installment of the Batman are very similar. And I could see them existing in the same world. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that changes with the idea to make the Joker sequel into a musical, though. I'm looking forward to this movie, too, to be clear. And actually, I really liked Joker. I can't remember what I said on this show at the time, but I thought it was a good movie. Yes, it can be hard to watch, but it was a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> I I liked it, too. I just remember at the time it was more popular to not like it. <laughs> Yeah. And people had really strong opinions. Like, I remember saying, yeah, I I thought it was a good movie. And, you know, having some folks come at me like, well, all it's going to do is incentivize incels to go out and shoot people. Yeah. Yeah, I I can't remember. I remember that. I can't remember what my thought process was, but I do think it's tough when when like the reality is we're living in a very dark timeline to then see that reflected um, on the big screen in, in the form of something that's supposed to be entertainment. But I feel like in a way, entertainment is at its best when it shows us a, a reflection of ourselves that's unsavory and perhaps helps move the dial towards what yeah. we want to yeah. be, Makes you know, you idealistically. So I do think that the sequel being a musical with Gaga does run the risk of it becoming a parody of itself. And I assume that to avoid that, they are going to make this as gritty as possible, just like the first one, just so people don't take it as a joke. I mean, and to be fair, you know, I think that that on the surface level, the gut reaction is is for most to think, oh, musical must be very jolly. But darker musicals exist. And a good example of that is like, you know, Sweeney Todd is technically a, a dark comedy musical so yeah it is that's kind of dark right yeah it is yeah Yeah, it's definitely like a dramatic musical for sure maybe she'll write the music for it that would be that that would definitely pique my interest yeah you have to think she's gonna write at least one song she did that with a star is born Mm -hmm. with you know what really threw me is i had no idea she was involved with i think it was writing the music for the for top gun maverick really Oh, I believe well, she so. has that I, single for the movie. Yeah, I think that that's why. But she was like very prominently featured in the credits. And I had like no idea that she was involved. They really buried the lead there. Interesting. Well, things get a bit stranger here, y'all. Um, a Missouri woman was awarded a $5.2 million settlement from insurance company Geico after she contracted a sexually transmitted disease from her partner in his vehicle, which was insured by Geico. Um, what? <laughs> I didn't know this was possible. I need to call Geico. 
Right. Well, she did submit a petition to Geico directly to start with, and she alleged that her sexual partner negligently caused or contributed to cause to be infected with HPV by not taking proper precautions and neglecting to inform and or disclose his diagnosis. Um, and she also claimed that his insurance policy provided coverage for her injuries and losses, which I guess is technically true. When you have car insurance, you have a line of coverage for if you injure or kill somebody else in your car. But no one ever thought to add does not cover STDs. Right. So she initially, um, when she was petitioning Geico, she initially suggested that they settle with her for $1 million. And Geico denied her any kind of coverage and also denied her the $1 million settlement she asked for. The case then went to an arbitrator who said, quote, there was sexual activity in the insured's automobile that directly caused or directly contributed to cause the woman to be infected with HPV, despite her former partner's knowledge of his positive HPV diagnosis. After that, a panel of three judges determined that the arbitrators recommended $5.2 million settlement would be fair compensation. (laughs) Geico tried to appeal at this point. Up until this point, Geico's super non-involved. They're just like, no, we're denying your claim. We're denying this request. Goodbye. At this point, Geico was like, now, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And um, ultimately, that panel came back and said that they could have defended their interests by entering a defense of the person that they insured. And they said Geico did not take advantage of this opportunity and instead denied coverage and refused to defund or excuse me, and refused to defend the insured. So essentially, this is the court saying you have a policy with the person that you insure, the right path to have taken here would have been to defend the person that you insure, not to deny coverage to the person who received damages in the car. So to be clear, they were having sex in the car, right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Is there a full report? Like they were banging in the back seat. She was Uh, blowing them. It doesn't go into those details but i assume if she got hpv i assume that there was you know full-on intercourse happening yeah i didn't expect like the details to be on cnn i'm just wondering if like (laughs) geico has a report with all the (laughs) with all the details i would think they would have to it's just due diligence i mean geico is my insurer like geico does my car insurance so i can call them and ask for a quote okay now you know (laughs) Oh, yeah, you should call and ask them for a quote. (laughs) I don't have Geico, but now I'm thinking of getting it. Yeah, I mean, they're actually pretty good. I've only ever had good experiences with them. But I've also never contracted an STD in someone's car. So, yeah, you're always sure to do that outside the vehicle. But now you're like, hmm, maybe I should... Could get I get one $5 million? Like... Or anything else you insure. <laughs> I mean, Lou, like, what about a house? What about a house? A lot of STDs transferred. This does open up homes. a whole yeah, different can right? of worms if, like, housing is involved, too. Yeah, because yeah. your, your homeowner's policy also covers you if somebody's injured on your property, or at least 
It should. Mm, exactly. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting developments. Everyone's going to start having sex outside to cover them. <laughs> yeah. And then you can start suing parks and, right. and local governments for, after what you can contract <laughs> on their local roadways. Um, yeah, this is one of those headlines you read and you just like can't believe it at first. Yeah. You're like, this is not what Geico insures for. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall have... seeing that. In my <laughs> I would have signed details. up. <laughs> Let's talk about a couple Apple stories. There were a couple of fun developments from um, their Worldwide Developers Conference last week. This is where they unveiled the next version of iPhone software. And there were a couple of features that people were very excited about. First of all, great news for Hung Up X's. Beginning with iOS 16, you will be able to unsend or edit a iMessage within 15 minutes of initially sending it. So we're finally getting these features that um, some social media platforms, not Twitter, have had. I feel like 15 minutes is a good window to edit and unsend a message, right? I think so. I think for the most part, for most people, you know right away, don't you? Right. Yeah. If you want to unsend something. Yeah, you hit send, you quickly realize your mistake, and you unsend it. Yeah. Yeah, for me, this will really help because anytime I try to type fuck on my phone, it autocorrects to duck to this day. I think everybody <laughs> has that experience. That's yes. the example Apple should have put up on screen. Yeah. That cuz everybody, <laughs> yeah, has experienced that before. Ducking autocorrect. <laughs> but I so while it's good for like little mistakes, it's not good for if you drunk text somebody and you don't realize your mistake until the next morning. 15 minutes is a pretty small window to sober up and realize your mistake. But I'm also glad about that because you shouldn't be able to send a message and then unsend it days, months, years later. Let's say you send a right. picture to somebody. You know, you want what ends up on your phone should stay on your phone and nobody else should have the control to revoke any of that. But a 15 minute window. Fail. I wish that there were a way to enable this with some contacts and not with others. <laughs> Because, I mean, Why? not to get too dark here, but imagine if you're, you know, dealing with some kind of criminal case where text messages can be evidence. You don't want that person to be able to delete anything they've sent you or, like, alter it in any way. True. Whereas, like, I don't, Andrew, like, I'll leave it on for you. I don't care if you alter <laughs> or resend messages. But... If you find yourself in a situation where you're talking to somebody who you don't want to be able to do that, I can see that being an issue. Yeah, that's a good point. I, that would be a great feature to to incorporate for sure. And maybe they will, because I know that a lot of people have been talking about that online since this got announced. So I think that could just open up a world of problems, though. Like, would you have to mutually agree to the editing and unsending features like each side of the conversation would have to agree to that i guess it really only matters if like the person receiving flips it on but you're yeah. right because then it, it like it, it kind of like goes against your ability to enjoy this feature yeah i think you know all this technology is still relatively new so it's taken a while to get edit and unsend features across all platforms, but eventually we are going to get there. 
And, and I, ha- um, I hate to give Facebook credit, but, you know, the nice thing about their edit feature is that you can click on where it says edited and see the original mm-hmm. post. So, yeah, I mean, uh, similarly to Laura's point, S.Y. Lagan 3 said, I watch way too much to catch a predator. This could put some kids at risk and make it harder for law enforcement to catch them. That is a good point. Let, let's say you a predator is texting a child and everything they send they're also unsending within five minutes but if they know the kid saw it then they're getting away with it i wonder if any of that is going to be encrypted somewhere so that if you needed text messages for legal reasons if they could like subpoena Hmm. for them to get the encrypted data so they could see what the original messages said yeah but you know what again though it, it unsending and editing messages this isn't exclusive to iMessage there's other platforms that allow this type right. of thing so i think this is just a reality that unfortunately society is going to have to deal with because this is more importantly a convenience factor for people being able to do this okay so one other story and this is kind of funny from from apple's event last week they introduced a new feature called iCloud Shared Photo Library. And it has people wondering if Apple is automatically going to share your dick pics with uh, family members. So the description of the feature reads, choose what to include based on a start date or the people in the photos. Once the shared library is set up, you can share photos instantly right from camera, choose to share automatically when other shared library members are nearby, and get smart suggestions for adding photos to the shared library in for you. So people are imagining scenarios, and this is the example that Apple shared. Let's say you go on a family vacation, and then you start a shared photo library. You're all staying in the same place, you know, so all your phones are kind of close to one another. And let's say you go in the bathroom, and you're like, damn, my dick looks great in this vacation rentals bathroom lighting. So you snap a photo of your dick. That seems oddly specific. Post it on, post it on. I'm just trying to think of a scenario where your dick, uh-huh. your dick would accidentally appear in a shared. No, but this, this, this uh, idea scenario makes sense. And then with this feature turned on, Apple might be like, oh, here's another photo from the family vacation. And it gets uploaded to everybody's phones. Oh my God. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. I saw people tweet about stuff like this. Here's the thing. I'm sure Apple has some safeguards in place to prevent dicks, boobs, vaginas, assholes, etc., any nudity from being accidentally posted <laughs> in the shared family photo f- folder. We remember um, last year we, sp- we spoke about how Apple is um, developing these uh, safety features so children can't see inappropriate photos. They also, if you look at your Photos app, they identify every little thing in the photo. A human, a boy, a girl, specific people. There are systems working behind the scenes to identify everything in the photo. So I think under the hood, there will be some dick ID safeguards to prevent penises from (laughs) accidentally appearing in a folder you're sharing with mom. Thoughts? I think that's probably smart. When I think about something like this, I think the potential for human error is probably greater. And I could see a lot of people accidentally including pictures like this 
not realizing or not remembering they took them. I guess if you're that yeah. worried about, you know, you yeah. know, your finger slipping, then you just don't opt into this feature, right? Yes. And, and that's like a really easy fix. And there is another nice feature that's a part of this. Anybody can delete anyone's photo from the shared family folder. So let's say you're shaming your sister for chugging a Smirnoff ice or something. If she doesn't like that photo, she deletes it and it is removed from everybody's phone. So I really like that from a safety perspective and yeah, just that from is like nice. an embarrassment perspective. That is a feature to keep an eye on everybody the next time you go on a family vacation and start taking nude photographs of yourself. We're going to test it, right? Oh, yeah. You want to test it, Laura? Yeah. Oh, are we? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, here's the plan. We are going to start a shared photo library between the three of us. And we're going to go on vacation. I'm going to take 80 <laughs> pictures of my asshole and see if iPhone mistakes it for a donut <laughs> and, and post it to the family, to our shared folder. <laughs> and it just adds the caption, simming. We need to see if uh, my suspicions about safeguards are correct. All right. So to bring us home today, there was this thread on Twitter that I really wanted to talk about. Somebody I follow tweeted, people old enough to remember life pre-internet. What are some less obvious things you miss about that time? And just to get the conversation going here, I wanted to read um, some of the ones that people suggested to Eric Alper on Twitter. Trying to discern lyrics without the luxury of jumping on a smartphone. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it was a game changer for me when when I was able to look up lyrics. But like that probably doesn't come as a surprise since I've always kind of been big into music. So I remember always being really excited by the CD inserts. Yes. Because, you know, they usually included photos and like notes from the musicians and it would also include the lyrics. That's where you could go to find the official lyrics of something and find out that you'd been singing it wrong for six months. The credits are also in those as well, yeah. which I find interesting sometimes to see who wrote a song, who played an inter- instrument too. on a song. Yeah. yeah. And fun fact, you can actually uh, song credits and stuff like that is now incorporated into Spotify. So if you're ever curious about that. yeah, who, who worked on a track, you can very easily look that up now, which I think is really great. That is. Yeah. Calling the movie theater for movie times. I don't think yeah. I ever did this, but that sounds like hell. I didn't either. We would just run to grab the newspaper. Yes, that's what I, I used did. to cut out like because I, I always kept a diary from like maybe like middle school through high school. And I used to cut out the um the posters from, you know, because like anytime. A big oh, movie, my God. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I, I used, used to think to, like, that was so cool. Yeah. And I used to like cut them out and like put them in my diary. So I have like so many of those from like. The Harry Potter days, for example, because I would be so excited about those movies coming out and stuff. That's amazing. In one of our local newspapers in New Jersey, there was a contest to enter to win two tickets to a movie and a movie poster. And uh, me and my dad, I guess, we entered one of these uh, contests once and we won. And our name was printed in the newspaper and we got a free poster and tickets. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Have my name in the get? newspaper. I don't know. I need to ask my parents when we're back. Oh, man. When I'm, when Do you I'm remember the movie you them. picked? No, no. I don't remember any of this. I just remember oh, winning. Man. 
It was probably a kid's movie if I was interested in it. Do y'all remember how Blockbuster used to give out movie posters sometimes? Yeah, you you could ask. Yeah. You can oh, say like because they just throw them away after or like sometimes mm-hmm. they would just have them for free in a bin by the door. Yeah. Yeah. But there you was could one just time. be like, hey, like, can I have this poster? And they'd be like, sure, because yeah, get all of them. There was one time my dad was there and it was after Titanic and I was obsessed with that movie. Um, so he got me a, a little poster of Jack and Rose and I was so excited. <laughs> Looking back, it's like, oh, it's it's trivial but i remember at the time being like whoa yeah i got official merch <laughs> right yeah when you're a kid those things excite you and then you die inside 10 years later <laughs> you're like where am i gonna put this as an adult this does not work <laughs> yeah here's another one depending on a map to get anywhere that one hits mm-hmm. real hard yeah I- I, we should maybe do this for the show sometime. Like, try to get somewhere new without a phone, without a, without Google Maps guiding us. So we uh. we used to my my you know for a long time my best friend lived in L.A. and I lived in San Francisco. So we would like go to visit each other, obviously. And I remember in the beginning of our friendship, um, like it, like the data plans for phones was really expensive and maps were not mm. as accessible you know this but it that wasn't even that long ago that was like maybe like 2010 2011 and so she always had maps in her car and one time we were where were we we were like somewhere in Burbank trying to get back to her house near Anaheim and we went the wrong way on the freeway because I was like, oh, no, Anaheim must be like, I think she said Anaheim must be north. And I was like, no, I think Anaheim's south. She's like, no, it must be north. And so we followed the map north for like 30 minutes before we realized we were going the wrong way. But yeah. Oh, my like God. That is, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. I remember printing out directions from MapQuest back in the day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We did that, too. <laughs> We would do that with yard sales as well. And that was scary because that that's like, you know, you're going to new people's homes every weekend. You don't know how to get there. So you had to really depend on that that map. Where did you used to look up yard sale stuff on? They used to be in the newspaper. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. The classifieds, uh, my family, Because my family used to do that too. But we would just like drive around random neighborhoods until we saw a sign. Oh. Yeah, I think they, uh, yeah, they would get posted in the newspaper. Here's another one. Taking a chance on an album based on only hearing one song. So I guess you hear it a lot on the radio and you're like, okay, let me give the rest of the album a shot. These sync kids sound all right. Lupega's <laughs> Mambo number five. You buy the oh, whole album and realize that you only really want the one song. I guess that was the trick back in the day. You just needed one hit song to sell an album. Pretty much. Yeah. But they also used to sell singles, so you had to sit there and decide if you wanted to spend money on a single, which just had like one or two tracks, or if you wanted to take a gamble and buy the full album. Yeah, and they also had those like listening stations in Best Buy and other places. Oh my god! You could put on I headphones and like scan the CD. Hours. Downtown San Francisco had a Virgin Records store that was, I think it was like three or four levels. I could spend hours in there. And all really? I would do would just like would just be like listen to the albums and then like wander around and look for new stuff to listen to. 
Yeah. <laughs> I remember I used to record songs from the radio. So that way I could listen to them whenever I wanted. <laughs> Did y'all ever do this? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I guess I, I must have. We used to, um, when I was in Girl Scouts, sometimes we would drive, you know, like, it used to feel like a long time, but in hindsight, it was probably only maybe like an hour away to go camping. And we would always um, request a song on our favorite station or whatever station we were going to be listening to on the drive and see if it would play before we got to the place. Oh, man, I remember doing stuff like that, too. This one also got me thinking about, like, when you were debating seeing a movie or a TV show or, like, buying a video game, you really only had, like, one review to depend on. It it was the Mm -hmm. one in the newspaper or some cool magazine. In a way, it was better that way because now there's so many reviews online of everything and critics are often split about something that it makes it harder to decide whether or not you should see or buy something. This is why I don't look up movie reviews. I do, but then I go anyway, even if the review is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another one telling my dad I was spending the night at a friend's house while the friend told his parents the same thing and going to a party instead before returning home late the next afternoon. 24 unsupervised hours of illegal activity without consequence. I was a goody two shoes. I never did anything like this in part Same. because I didn't have any friends to do it with. We used to do this, but with boys. So we would just like Ooh. not tell our parents that boys were going to be there. Oh, yeah. And we'd always go to like the cool mom's house because the cool mom was never going to rat you out. We have some phone related ones. Laura, what are these two? These are your own. Oh, yeah. Um, I just remember making plans with people without relying on instant messaging. So you would just call their landline in advance. You would make plans and beyond having their, you know, landline number, you had no way of communicating with them while you were on the way to whatever it was you were getting ready to do. And you just had to find each other when you got to that space. There was no like texting, hey, I'm standing by this thing it was like you just had to find each other and you had to remember the plans too yeah like if you told people a week (laughs) in advance you're like shit i i don't have a digital i guess you could have a physical planner but what not many kids are probably doing that yeah yeah i also just had this memory today uh remember when we were able to dial locally without the area code (laughs) <laughs> so just dialing seven digits. Did y'all have this? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I guess you're right. Yeah. 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 It was a big deal in my area when that changed and they added our area code. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I you know, they, they actually like ran out of area codes where I live. And so I refused to give my phone number up because I, I just, you know. You want that OG area code. Yeah. Because saying? now, yeah. like, that's how you can differentiate between, like, the recent transplants and, like, the OG people. <laughs> it's the oh, that's really funny. Here mm-hmm. in Atlanta. I think the 404 area code, it's the most commonly known Atlanta area code. And I don't think they have them anymore. One of my exes got on my family plan and took uh, my local area code. And I just love that now he's stuck with my area code for the rest of his uh, life. He hasn't ever changed it? <laughs> no. He has That's to think really of me funny. every time he gives that number. 
<laughs> That's my evil plan with everybody. I put them on family plans with me. I don't even know why he didn't transfer his old number. That was strange in I and of it, itself. Maybe yeah. you couldn't do it back then. Well, I feel like that was kind of like new technology. Like now every carrier lets you do that. Yeah. But for a long time, a big... it was only certain carriers. And then before that, it was like no carriers. Yeah. And that's a huge selling point for people. Like people would refuse to give up their number and switch. So carriers need to do that. So the reason I wanted to talk about this and, and some phone items is because there was this tweet a couple weeks ago that went mega viral, 457,000 likes. This is from Emma Bolden. I just need people to understand that before cell phones, we had to call landlines and your friend's parents would answer and you had to talk to their parents until your friend came to the phone. I feel this one so hard. I still remember calling one of my neighbors, Danny, and it was his mom who picked up every time. Hi, Mrs. O'Brien. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm good. Is Danny home? Yeah, let me see if Danny. Uh, so what's new in school? Uh, 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 it was the worst. I hate. I hated calling yeah. Danny for that reason. Did your parents train you all on proper phone etiquette? Because that was very important to my mother. Really? Like in what way? Yeah. Like she would. She would like. She trained me and my brother. She's like, when you're making a call, I don't care who it is. You have to, when the person picks up, say, hi, this is Pamela. I'm calling for this. Like, can I, like, or if it was like a friend, right? Like if I was calling your house in the 90s, she would want me to say, hi, this is Pamela. I was wondering if Andrew is home. Can I speak yeah. to Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. I think I got a lesson or two <laughs> like that. And then. People used to listen in on your calls yes. in the house. Oh, my God. Yeah, because for anyone not old enough to remember this, somebody could just pick up if you had multiple phones in your house attached to your landline. Somebody could very quietly pick up one of the other phones and listen in on your conversation. Yeah. And it was I, I remember being super paranoid about it. <laughs> Because I knew yeah. they could do it. My mom definitely did it once or twice. She wasn't like listening at length, but she overheard things. What when were you she talking was, like, about? Probably boys. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah. You know, it had to be like a state secret, right? I didn't want anyone to know about that. Right. At that age. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's girl time. That's BFF talk. Yeah. But yeah, I would I would 100% spy on my parents uh, when they made phone calls, we had a phone right next to the computer. So, and of course, I was spending a lot of time on the computer, the family computer. So, I, well, I, I would hear, you know, my mom or dad talking with a family member. I, it was only the family member calls that interested me. And so, you had to become a pro at picking up the phone very care carefully, so mm -hmm. that hang up button wouldn't make any noise. And then you also had to become a pro at putting the phone down and quietly setting it. Yeah, you down. had to. You would have to hold the what is it that button down? The, yeah, what's it called? I can't even. I don't even know. Hang up button, yeah. receiver button, the receiver. Yeah, my, yeah. my okay. brother used to do that. My my younger brother, he used to try and like listen in because he thought that he was going to be a spy one day, <laughs> and so that was just like <laughs> spy trading. Trading. <laughs> Yeah, it was always fun too. if you know, you went to an elderly relative's house and they had a rotary phone. 
Oh, God. I don't mm-hmm. think I ever had to deal with my, one of those. My grandma had one. She used to own a a boutique that she was in the wedding business for a while when we were really young. And, and um, at the boutique, they had a rotary phone. And she used to get so mad at us when we would like play with it <laughs> because it was supposed to be for the business. Pam, tell us about this one. Oh, yeah. So I I don't know if anybody if this is going to resonate with anybody listening, but I remember when when we were younger, you used to be able to call the popcorn lady and it was out here where I'm from. It was, you know, 415 popcorn. So you would just like dial the numbers correlating to those these letters. And then the the automated service on the other line would tell you the time. So it would be like at the tone Pacific Standard Time will be and then it would tell you what time it would be. And so we would do this to like set our clocks. Or I guess just for oh, fun. Yeah, okay. I don't know if yeah. this was like nationwide. And I did some research uh, on the popcorn lady because I thought I was going crazy and maybe I didn't have it right because when we were talking about this segment, neither of you had heard of this. No. And I guess she was on the other line until 2007. So fairly recently that you yeah. could still wow. call this number in the Bay Area to to get the time. And it was all based on like the the master clock out in the on the East Coast in New York. Uh-huh. So yeah, so it was like the most accurate time that you could get. I was just trying to think like what on earth would you need this for? If you need to call this, then you need a little wristwatch. Yeah, but like your wristwatch could be inaccurate. Technically. Yeah. So By she what? would say like Pacific Standard Time will be five fifty nine and twenty seconds. And then you would hear the beep. And then five seconds later she would say at the tone Pacific Standard Time would be six o'clock and I ten can, seconds. I can see it like if your house lost power and you needed to reset your clocks or at the time change. Because remember, like now everything updates on its own, but back then it didn't. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, okay, but your oven, your microwave, I have an analog wall clock that I turn twice mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't care if it's off by 20 seconds or a minute. I think yeah, it was definitely was more time. useful back in like back back in the day, but it was definitely still around when we were growing up. That's wild. I'd never yeah. heard of that before. Anyone remember phone books? I distinctly mm-hmm. remember. Oh, I didn't a waste use them a ton. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> well, today it is, at least. Yeah. But, I mean, I remember a couple of times when I was stalking people from school and I wanted to find their number. <laughs> I would definitely yeah. use the phone book. I used stalking. to do this, too. And the funniest part is, is that the school would give you a paper directory for everybody in the school. So you had phone numbers for everyone but you still went and looked it up in, in the phone book, at least if you were me. <laughs> it was always a boy. It was always like somebody I had a crush yeah, on. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Even phone books, I think, went away like five, ten years ago, relatively recently. But I just, yeah, those things were real hunks of junk. If mm-hmm. you, But you, I mean, you depended on it back in the day. Yep. Go to P for pizza. Go to D for doctor. Like, you really needed that. Mm-hmm. And no reviews either. I don't know how we survived without. Like, I don't touch anything <laughs> on Google Maps. There was no star a, system. Yeah, I don't touch anything that's below like a four point four. How did people like? Well, related mouth, to that, if you didn't have a phone book or like, say you lost it or you loaned it out, then you'd have to call the operator 
Yeah. And be like, I need I need to be transferred to like this person or I need the number for like a taxi, for example. Yeah. Or like you give them like vague details like I need the CVS on Stokes Road. Right. Exactly. South of the McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, technology is good in some ways. So let's move to some recommendations now. Did you two hear Target CEO recently announced that they will be slashing prices due to the huge amount of inventory they have right now? I did hear about that. I didn't, but I'm excited to go do a massive Target haul. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny um, as we're entering, I guess, what people are calling a post-pandemic world, though it, I don't really like using that phrase, yet people's... Uh, buying habits are changing. And so Target has all this stuff that they brought in for the pandemic and now nobody's buying it. I doubt they're going to do like a huge, we have too much shit sale, though that would be really cool to open up the app and see that right at the top. I assume they're going to do this in a more subtle way. Maybe you'll just see more sales than usual. But my recommendation is just to keep an eye out on uh, Target's website, the app, which is very good. And of course, in store, because it looks like they're going to be discounting a lot for a certain period of time. What's now in demand, by the way? Groceries, which I'm surprised um, that's new. But also makeup is now in demand as everybody heads back out into the real world. No more Zoom filter for you. That actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know yeah. about you, Laura, but I saved a lot of money in the pandemic not having yeah. to leave the house. I also just wear less makeup now than Me I do pre-pandemic. Even when I am going somewhere, it's like 50-50 whether I'll be wearing makeup, whereas I used to be pretty committed to always wearing makeup when I went out socially. Good. That should be normalized. Mm-hmm. I agree. Life is too damn short. I wanted to recommend (laughs) Miss Marvel, which just premiered on Disney Plus last Wednesday. Episode two is set to drop this Wednesday. So when the show comes out, I have not read the comics, but I just thought that that this show was so delightful and it was so refreshing and it's just so much fun. So if you haven't checked this out, I would highly recommend Uh, doing so and you really don't need very much context as to who Kamala Khan is or anything like that it's just very easily digestible even if you have no touchstone for uh, who she is yeah I'm gonna break the rules this week and copy Pam (laughs) Um, we watched the first episode of Ms. Marvel as well and it is so good y'all genuinely like Pam said you don't have to really have any background at all on this character. Um, It's a really compelling story, even if you know nothing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the way it's shot is very unique, Mm -hmm. I found. Um, There was a lot about it to enjoy visually, um, but the storytelling is also um, very impactful. So I'm excited to see more. Me too. I thought it was that there's a little like four minute... um, like intro to Miss Marvel package that you can see in like the extras on Disney Plus as well. And I just think it's so cute that the star of Miss Marvel, Imam Vellani, was such a big fan of the comics back before she even got cast. And she's just so delightful in the role. And it's just really nice to see somebody that clearly had such a love for 
this comic in particular uh, get to now do this, you know, on, on such a large stage. So I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Great. Coming up in After Dark today, it's the finale of our deep dive series. And this week's installment is all about Laura. We will be exploring Laura's life and what makes her the person that she is today. Are you ready for the hot seat, Laura? Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to be exposed, but <laughs> here we are. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Y'all's questions are really, they're nice questions. I'm excited to talk about them. Nice questions. Hmm. Okay. We gotta we gotta dig deeper, Pam. I, I know. Think. Our follow-ups <laughs> gotta like be that. really good. They have to be spicy. Bring them on. You just made a big mistake, Laura. <laughs> I can take it. <laughs> you should have been like, oh, these are tough, but you know, I'll manage it. Hashtag for the show. <laughs> so that'll be at patreon.com slash millennial this week. Uh, when you do pledge at the five dollar level or higher, you get access to Mega Millennial, which is the main show ad-free with After Dark attached to the end of it. And you can get all these episodes delivered to uh, your favorite podcast app, except for Spotify. But most of the others you can uh, hook Patreon up to. So again, patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can write to millennialshow at gmail.com, or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be well. I know it's a tough time right now, like I said at the top of the show. So everybody take care of yourselves. Try to relax. Have some fun. But keep an eye on everything that's going on. And we'll get through it together. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye.